The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Laurel Rosenhall, a journalist with Cal Matters and who spent a dozen years with the Sacramento Bee, where she covered state politics and education. So welcome to Ask the CIO SLED edition, our state and local program. Laurel, good to have you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Before we get into your article about the issue of uh, digital privacy and California legislation, why don't you just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit more about your background. I am a reporter with Cal Matters, and we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan news site based in Sacramento, but with reporters also in the Bay Area and Los Angeles. Uh, we launched about four years ago, and our mission is to cover California state government and state politics. Okay. Before I joined Cal Matters, I was a reporter with the Sacramento Bee for many years, and I am a native Californian. I grew up in San Francisco. You know, when I saw your article, it reminded me of a woman whose book I read, Shoshana Zupoff. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she was one of the first female uh, professors at Harvard Business School. And she wrote a landmark book about 30 years ago that kind of, uh, at least in, from, my, from my generation, really, uh, really took to heart. It, would call, it was called The Age of the Smart Machine. She actually just came out with another book almost exactly a year ago called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And in her book, she explains that Facebook and Instagram, Google, all these social media giants, they all derive their business success from a fundamental premise uh, that's actually illegitimate and our, that our private experiences are free for taking as, uh, as a raw material. So she talks about how Ford Motor Company had pioneered assembly line capitalism and how General Motors, for example, had inaugurated a managerial capitalism but this is a new capitalism, a behavioral capitalism, she calls it. And in a sense, it's surveillance capitalism. And she writes that social media titans unilaterally claim our human experience as a free raw material for translation into behavioral data, which is a fancy way of saying they're watching us collecting the information and translating it and what they have into an economic model for their business. So, Laurel, in your article, you express similar thoughts, I believe. Tell us what ex- inspired your article. Well, this new law that's taking effect in California called the California Consumer Privacy Act is taking effect in January. And that was, you know, basically the inspiration was to just sort of explain what this thing is and how we got to this point where California is enacting this law that is seen as the strongest in the nation. Um, I had covered the deal-making and negotiations that led to the law uh, a couple years ago when it was moving through the legislature. But now that it's about to take effect, I wanted people to understand the context. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning of your article, uh, you mentioned a story in The Guardian, the British uh, newspaper, about a gentleman that decided to find out just how much data was actually being collected online. And it's a real eye-opener, right? But tell us about that. Yeah, it was pretty astounding. Um, He downloaded all the information that Google had on him and all the information that Facebook had on him. Both companies make those tools available for anyone who wants to do this. But the extent and the quantity of the information was just mind-blowing. The Google data was the equivalent of 3 million Word documents. 
and the Facebook data was about 400,000 Word documents worth of information. Um, they had histories of every location he'd been in the last year, including the time and date he was there. He got back a calendar of events that he had put on his calendar and also notations of which events he actually attended. Um, the data included all the photos he'd ever taken with his phone, including when and where they were taken, as well as every email he'd ever sent or received, including the ones he had deleted. Jeez. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's have, pretty amazing. After after seeing that, have you uh, have you done it yourself? Have you checked out what's out there? I haven't done that, no, because in part I was kind of wondering what I would do with it. There is a power to know, but we also use some of these applications for work purposes, so I couldn't um, really imagine deleting all of that data um, because a lot of that is very integrated with my job. Sure, sure. It's a real dilemma, isn't it? You know, after yeah. hearing after hearing that rundown of what happened to that gentleman, uh, it's no surprise that many people, including elected officials, started to take notice. So let's discuss how the, the California law came about. There is a real estate developer in San Francisco named Alistair McTaggart. He's not someone who had any kind of career in privacy policy or activism until a couple years ago, and he's now kind of become this extremely influential person in the privacy debate. Um, he, like I said, is a real estate developer in San Francisco. In, his, in the course of his personal life, um, he was at a dinner party in the Bay Area where he struck up a conversation with a Google engineer. And the engineer told him in the course of their conversation that Americans would be shocked if we knew how much information Google has about us. And this really piqued his curiosity. And he got together with some other concerned people. And one thing that is possible in California is what we call a citizen's initiative, which is where anyone who has enough money can put something on the ballot for a public vote. And so this developer named Alistair McTaggart spent about $3 million collecting signatures and getting an initiative qualified for the ballot that would give people more control of their data. And the tech companies were freaking out. They um, completely opposed this. They started raising money to oppose his ballot measure and then realized that they didn't actually want to take this into a public campaign because the optics of fighting consumer privacy would be really bad for them. And instead, they kind of both sides went to the legislature and basically said, look, let's work this out. If you pass a law in the legislature, McTaggart said, um, I'll take my measure off the ballot. And so he basically used that ballot measure as leverage got the lawmakers to pass something. The tech side of things, though they don't love this Privacy Act, they certainly um, prefer it over the the version of it that was going to go on the ballot because they were able to lobby for some compromise. In particular, there's very strong limits on the circumstances when people can sue tech companies. It's limited only to data breaches. 
so that was a big win for the tech companies, better than what um, McTaggart was putting on the ballot. And in uh, 2018, the legislature passed this bill. Governor Jerry Brown at the time signed it into law, and it takes effect on January 1st of 2020. You know, I was also amazed uh, where you wrote about the companies and uh, that are affected by this in terms of their revenues and uh, other uh, metrics on their business. Yes. This is really um, a very expansive law in terms of who has to comply. Um, nonprofit organizations are exempt, but for businesses, they have to comply if their revenues exceed $25 million a year or if they get at least half of their revenue from selling consumers' personal information, or if they buy or sell personal data of at least 50,000 households. So um, the estimates are that as many as half a million companies are likely have to going to have to follow this law. Just in and California? You don't have or? To, no. Um, it's not the, – the law gives rights to Californians to request this information, but the companies don't have to be based in California to follow it. Anyone who has any website anywhere, if they do business with a Californian or have any customers in California, then they have to follow it. Mm-hmm. So what does this all mean to the public at large? There's a big change coming, but how is the new law uh, – it doesn't outright re- preclude companies from collecting the data – But there are some restrictions, correct? Yeah, I think that the clearest way to think about it is that um, this is a law that will give consumers more ability to go and get information that companies have about those consumers. But if the consumer does nothing, then nothing really changes. So um, the law will allow Californians to request from a business all the information they have about you and um, requires that the businesses delete the information if you ask them to. And for those businesses that do sell personal information, they have to create a simple way for Californians to opt out of having our data sold like a simple button on their website. Let me take a short break right now. Our guest today is Laurel Rosenhall, a journalist with Cal Matters in Sacramento, You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Brain implants can treat diseases ranging from Parkinson's to depression, but patients must generally be tethered to machines. So researchers are now experimenting with tiny probes that can monitor brain function and deliver targeted treatments using a smartphone. Michael Brukus, a neuroscientist at the University of Washington in Seattle, is working with Korean engineers on a wearable system with drugs in printer ink like cartridges. Essentially, there's a cartridge system, there's a pump system, and there's a way that you can control that through a Bluetooth connection. The probes can be placed precisely with less damage to surrounding tissue and provide a path for drugs to be pumped to specific brain sites. Pick up the smartphone and you can control what's happening at the level of the brain from a far distance away in the room next store, for example. Brukus admits some might not be comfortable with such remote control medicine, but he says using this on humans is still years away. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 
The FBI and its partners disrupted and prevented the illicit behavior of more than 600 money mules as part of a two-month-long national campaign. Criminals looking to move stolen money recruit individuals through dating websites, online job announcements, emails, and other platforms. Sometimes money mules are not aware that they are part of a larger fraud scheme and they become victims themselves. Supervisory Special Agent James Abbott says unwitting money mules believe they are acting in good faith. There's no shame in being a victim. These criminals are very good at what they do and very good at preying on people. So if you believe you are being used as a money mule, please reach out to law enforcement. During the campaign, law enforcement issued more than 500 warning letters notifying money mules that they are aiding and abetting criminals. Report money mule activity to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center, or IC3, at ic3.gov or dial 1-800-CALL-FBI. With FBI This Week, I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Laurel Rosenhall, a journalist with Cal Matters in Sacramento. Uh, Laurel, you were just talking about the effect that it's going to have on, on the public, if you will, and also uh, what the obligations are in order to take advantage of the new law. Why don't you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, like I was saying, basically, if Californians want this information from companies starting in January, they will be able to get it. But if consumers don't take any proactive steps to seek out this information, then they probably won't notice any change other than uh, we are all going to be inundated with the announcements that there's updated privacy policies from all kinds of websites that operate in California. So some of them are coming up with privacy policies that have a California-specific section. Some of them are just basically creating a new privacy regime uh, nationally that meets the California standard. And I think that there are still a couple of unknowns, or maybe the better way to put it is um, there are still a couple areas where time will tell how it will play out. We don't know exactly right now how this will change, but the law does allow businesses to charge people more if they opt out of having their data sold. So um, we will see over the coming year or two whether that is something that the companies actually implement or if they choose not to, um, either for PR reasons or because there's just simply not that many people opting out of their um, data sales. Yeah, there's a lot of questions for sure. I I know it's interesting that this law takes effect in just three weeks. I'm surprised Mm -hmm. we haven't actually seen more about this deadline. You mentioned about the, uh, or I did, about new terminology. And one of the ones that I discovered in your article uh, refers to the role of data brokers. What's that all about? Well, You know, Google and Facebook get all the headlines, and those are the sort of consumer-facing websites that we're all very familiar with, but they claim that they do not sell users' data. So I do not expect that they're going to be posting these, you know, buttons allowing people to opt out of having their data sold because they contend that they don't sell users' data. Um, But on the other hand, there are data brokers, which are companies that specifically collect data on on people and aggregate it and combine it, organize it, and then sell it to advertisers. And so they can sell lists of people that advertisers might want to target. For example, people who might 
spend at least $100 on Valentine's Day or people who are planning beach vacations or international trips or things like that. They have a lot of information. Some of them are also companies that do credit checks when people you know, apply for a credit card or a loan or a new apartment. Um, some of these companies have an extremely vast amount of information on us. And those companies under this law, those are the ones that are going to have to have these buttons allowing people to opt out of having their data sold. The hitch is that most of these companies are not big household names that, you know, your average person would be familiar with. So um, eventually, in another year, California is going to have a list of all of the companies that are participating. But that was something that kind of came up as a follow-up after this law had already been approved. So that list is not going to be available until a year from now. Okay. And and I seem to recall that while the the law takes effect in January 1st of of next year, 2020, uh, there's actually a six-month till it's enforced. Is Is that correct? Well, yeah, there's um, the regulations are being developed right now. So the law takes effect before the regulations are completed. So there are definitely, um, you know, businesses are concerned about that because the regulations are, you know, spelling out the details and even things like the regul the it's the regulatory process where they're designing this little opt out button that is going to be uniform that businesses are all going to have, but they haven't yet develop the regulation for that. So I think there's going to be a lot of figuring it out as this law takes shape in the next year. You mentioned that Jerry Brown signed the legislation, but I also read that uh, you mentioned that Governor Newsom has even weighed in on this issue, correct? Yes. He has been um, very supportive of this law and says he's really proud of California for passing it. Um, But he floated an idea to go even further and give Californians some kind of compensation for our data. Now, he put this idea out shortly after he was inaugurated at the beginning of 2019. And since then, he has yet to release any details. So we don't know exactly what he has in mind. But he directed his staff to come up with a proposal for what he calls a data dividend for Californians. And you know, potentially it could be structured similar to how Alaska shares the wealth from its oil um, by sending checks to each resident of Alaska. But right now, we really don't know exactly yeah. what, what the governor has in mind. That would be interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be a side bet uh, for how much the government itself keeps. Uh, you know, interestingly <laughs> enough, I just read that there's a state senator in New York, a David Car- Carlucci, who just introduced a bill in the Big App, well, I guess in New York State, uh, five, or a 5% tax for that data dividend. So uh, other states are starting to, yeah, starting to do the mm-hmm. same thing. And, that, and it's, in, it's interesting, as you, as you say in your article, how much is this data really worth, right? Yeah, and there's not a perfect way to measure it, but economists have looked at it a few different ways, and some examples that they've reported are from the – very minuscule. It's worth 11 cents, the the fact that a woman is pregnant based on a review of what companies pay for personal data when they want to advertise. Obviously, that's a time in life when people are going to be, you know, doing a lot of shopping and making a lot of specialized purchases. 
the combined value of, of 61 basic information items about the average person is $4.83. But if you start including a lot of more personal information, including like their financial history and things like that, all that data might be worth almost $300. So when you get to the aggregate level of how much personal data is worth in a state as big as California, where we have 40 million people, um, the value of our personal data is estimated at 10 to $12 billion. Wow. Mm. Well, as yeah. you, you mentioned earlier about the dilemma of uh, going on some of these sites and uh, and opting out, if you will, because it it it, do, it does affect your ability to access these sites to get some of the right. information that someone in your business really needs to do their job. So that's one of the uh, issues that come out of this uh, pricing is also about if uh, will I have to pay more if I opt out of having my data sold, right? Yeah, and we don't know yet how much companies are going to use this provision. Part of that is because, the, like we said earlier, the regulations are still being developed, and those will guide how much more companies could charge. The law does say that it has to be a commensurate amount with the value of the data. So if someone's data is worth you know, $5 on a particular app, then the price differential needs to be commensurate with that. But there is, you know, some concern that we could evolve to a two-tiered internet economy where uh, poor people pay with personal data and people with money pay with money. So, like I said, we don't know how widespread this practice will become. Um, but it is definitely something to watch over the next year or two is whether we start seeing services kind of have one price if you give us your data and a different price if you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Laura, where's all this activity coming from, the legislation, the regulations, and the like? Why are we seeing this now? Over the last several years, people have become more aware of how much information the tech companies have about us and the government. You know, there was several years ago, the whole NSA story came out about government surveillance and revelations that, you know, tech companies were working with the government. Um, also, that social media giants are sharing users' information, stories like Cambridge Analytica. And there's just been not to mention all of the various data breaches, whether it was email or credit card companies or what have you. Um, And so people have developed, public opinion surveys show that people have developed a lot of negative feelings about this issue, that people feel that they've lost control of their personal data, that Americans feel the government isn't doing enough to protect their data privacy, and that that's where it's really coming from um, is that this you know real estate developer Alistair McTaggart, he's not the only one who was kind right. of eyebrows raised when he heard from this Google engineer how much they know about us. Laurel, I want to thank you very much. It's been great. I think with that we're going to have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Laurel Rosenhall, a journalist with Cal Matters in Sacramento. Laurel, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and some other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. 
Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.